0: You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. If you are new to us this morning, I want to introduce myself. My name is Brandon Dickerson. I get to serve as the associate pastor here. And this morning we're going to be in two places in our Bibles. If you want to pull out your Bible or if you don't have one, grab one out of the seat in front of you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We've been looking at the first 12 verses of Matthew 5. We've been considering um, what we call breaking points in our lives. So, those moments that we come to when we realize that something just isn't working. We need to do something different. We, we have a choice in those moments. We can either look inwardly and we can continue to do things the way that we've always done them, that what doesn't work. Or we can look at God and what his word has for us and the principles and promises that have an answer to every one of these breaking points in our lives. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus answers these moments for us. And then if you want to also mark your place, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in a little bit. So those are the two places you can kind of anchor yourself in your Bible. Today we're going to focus in on verse 8 and the breaking point that comes when we struggle to see God. It's that moment in our life where we look around and we wonder where God is. We wonder how he's working, what he's planning, what he's doing in this particular situation. Times where he may seem distant or perhaps altogether absent. And I think there are two seasons in our life where this can happen, or primarily two seasons. One of those seasons is when things are going awfully When we find ourselves in really hard, challenging situations, that's the times that we mostly attribute to those moments where we have trouble seeing God and wondering what it is he's doing around us in these particular situations. But I think that these times can also come in our life when things are going great, in the really good seasons. Why? Because it's in the good seasons that we often think that we have everything under control. That I've been leaning on myself for so long that I really don't need God for anything. And so I look around and all of a sudden, it's like he's not there at all. Why? Because I've been giving myself credit and I've been putting things into my life that have made it difficult for me to see God. In either case these seasons where we struggle to see God often come not because of something God has done and certainly not because he isn't there. We know that God is ever present, that he's always with us, but because we have allowed something to block our view of God and the work that is going on around us all the time in the great seasons and in the awful seasons. And guaranteed, regardless of which of these is causing you to lose your ability to focus on him, there will come a point where you'll have to get it back. That God will graciously allow you to feel his absence in order for you to be drawn back to himself and to see him once again. And that's where we hear Jesus' words in verse 8. When he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I want to deal with this principle on two levels because I think that Jesus gives it to us in two levels. And we really need to understand both in order to see how they connect. Pastor Matt Chandler says that we have the gospel in the air and we have the gospel on the ground. The gospel in the air represents these wonderful promises that God has given us through our salvation. The promises that he has given us through his word. It represents the future hope that should drive everything that we do and how we see the world around us. Because of what God has done for us, we should see the world around us differently than others. And that's driven by these these great promises that God has given us. But the gospel on the ground speaks to how our lives as Christians are lived out in the day to day. Because we don't just accept salvation and then immediately go to be with the Lord. No, we have lives to live, and this gospel has to be lived out in our lives. And so the question is, what do God's promises mean for me today, in this moment, when I'm at this particular breaking point, when God seems distant or absent right now? And I think that both ways of looking at Jesus' words here in verse 8 inform us into what it means for us and how it is that we can see God. And so to help with both levels, what I want to do first is to consider the negative of Jesus' statement and then work backward to what it means for us in the future and what it can mean for us today. And so if Jesus says that blessed are, happy are the pure in heart for they will see God, then the negative is that those who are impure of heart will not see God. That's the negative of the statement. And of course, there can be no real blessedness, no real happiness apart from God. We know that every happiness that the world enjoys apart from God today is only temporary and will eventually end. There's a parallel passage in Hebrews twelve fourteen. The author writes, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There's the negative of that statement. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We see this again at the end of Revelation where John gives us this glorious picture of the new heaven and the new earth and the promise that all of those who belong to God will get to dwell in his kingdom, living by the light of his glory and the lamp of his son forever. It's a wonderful promise. But within this amazing vision and promise, John writes in chapter 21, verse 27, nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so in just these three places, in Jesus' words in Matthew and in Hebrews and in John's words in Revelation, we see this direct connection between holiness and purity of our hearts and our ability to see God, to be in his presence, and to enter through the gate of that glorious new heaven and new earth. Why? Why the connection? Because God is so holy. He's so pure. He's so perfect that nothing unholy or impure or imperfect can look at his face or be where he is is. If you consider that 24 karat pure gold, maybe for Mother's Day you received jewelry. I'm thinking about gold. If you consider 24 karat pure gold it's never 100% pure which is why if you look at gold bars it has that 99.99% on it because it represents that there's that that tiniest fraction of impurity that is impossible to be removed from that block of gold. That 0.001% of metals or materials that are not gold. Now to you and me if someone were to hand you a gold bar and you looked at it and it said 9999 would you reject it? No, absolutely not. Because to us, the value is the same. It, it still represents a great amount of value and worth. None of us are so good, so rich, that we would reject anything less than 100% pure gold. But God is that good. God is that pure. And even that .001% impurity in our hearts, and we have a lot more than 0001 percent is enough to keep us from entering through that gate and out of God's presence forever. And that should be a sobering, and perhaps if you don't yet know what I'm gonna say in the promise, that can be a terrifying reality for you. That every sin, every trespass against God increases that impurity level in our hearts, and no matter how good we seek to be today on for the rest of our lives, that impurity will follow us. We can't undo the times that we've chosen ourselves over God. I can't undo the times that I've rejected and rebelled against him. Our hearts, by their very nature, are impure. As Genesis 6-5 says, every inclination of the heart of man is evil all the time. We have disqualified ourselves from seeing God, from entering into this kingdom. And yet we as Christians know that that is not the end of the story. We sit in this room because that is not the end of the story. We are not hopeless. That's the gospel in the air. That our hope is found in what Jesus came and accomplished on the cross. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of. Of God, In other words, as Jesus hung on the cross, he took every ounce of impurity to the nth percentage upon himself. He nailed it to the cross and he left it there and in exchange for all those who would believe in him, he gave you who would believe in him a pure heart that would qualify you to enter into God's kingdom. This is the future hope, this, this gospel in the air for all of us who trust in Jesus for salvation, that when you pass through that gate into the new heaven and the new earth, that God will not see the impurity of your heart, but would rather see the perfect purity of his son's heart. He has qualified you by faith, not by anything that you've done, to really see God at a future point. And that, as Jesus says, should make us exceedingly happy to recognize, to just meditate on that for a moment. That there is a point in the future, a definite point in the future that is now closer now than it was when you woke up this morning in which you will see God's face. And you will... Feel the warmth of his glory and his light and you will meet your savior. That should make us happy and and that should pull us through every one of these breaking points. That great reality of, of what our future hope is, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, a purity that does not belong to us but was given to us and now we get to see God. It's an amazing promise. But this gospel is lived out not only in great promises like this, but also right now on the ground, in the day to day. Our faith is not just realized in the future, but it is realized the moment that we accept Jesus Christ in this gift of salvation. And it's then that God, by his Holy Spirit that comes to live inside of us, begins to change us from the inside out. And so yes, we do have this purity given to us that qualifies us to enter into his kingdom, but there is a clear call in your Bible for purity in the day to day. And we often associate purity with simple sexual purity, but, and it is that, but it's not just that. It's purity in everything that we do as we have commanded that our Bible shows us that our lives as Christians are to be marked by a continual striving after purity and holiness. And of course, the natural question is, why? If if I'm given this this pure heart, if I'm given Christ's heart that, that qualifies me to enter into God's kingdom, then why did the author of Hebrews there in 12.14 say that we should make every effort to live in peace and be holy? Why does John say in 1 John chapter 3, But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's the promise. Now all those who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Notice John reminds us that we have this hope of seeing Christ. That's a given for us who are saved by faith. And yet in this hope, we purify ourselves just as he's pure. He's describing this this working after, this striving after pure and holy lives. Or Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have blessings beyond imagination. Blessings you, you can't even conceive of. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to what? To be holy and blameless in his sight. God created us not just so that we could be holy enough to enter into his kingdom, but also so that we would be holy and blameless and pure today. And so this is a clear command of scripture. Peter quotes God when he says, be holy because I'm holy. We can't escape the call to seek after purity in our hearts right now in the moment because ultimately that is what Jesus has bought for us by his very blood. He purchased that new life for you. God has saved you to that and a rejection of that reveals an ultimate rejection of the future promise that's to come. To put that more positively, the promise of what God has done should become the motivation for wanting to live a life that is pleasing to him in every way today according to his word. That's the answer to the why. Why do I strive after purity today? It's the answer to the question of why I need to strive after purity even though I've been given this pure heart. No, it's I should desire purity in my heart because I've been given a pure heart by Christ. That God has done this for me and now my desire is to serve him and to please the Father and to live in step with the Spirit as I become more like the Son. That's how all of it comes together in our day-to-day lives. It's a progression of holiness and purity over the course of our entire lives. Not perfection. We're not rule keepers. We're not law keepers. But an earnest desire motivated by what Jesus has done for you. To be pure of heart. And I think that that gets to the heart of that breaking point that we come to when we really struggle to see God wondering where He is and what He's doing and how He's working. That in those times where I can't see Him very clearly, I need to evaluate if I'm really striving after this kind of purity that God, through His Word, has commanded me to strive after. Because impurities that we allow into our lives, they cloud our vision of seeing God around us. And so when I'm allowing these things in my life that are contrary to what God desires of me as he's revealed through the pages of my Bible, I should not expect that God is going to bless me with a clear vision of himself and what he's doing around me. And this is where you can flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you marked your place there. In chapter 2, Paul gives Timothy a picture of what this looks like. We're going to begin in verse 20. Paul writes, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves of the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Paul is describing those things that we allow into our lives and into our hearts. Some good and some bad. Some for special use and things that are common or not useful or even harmful for us. And what I think Paul is instructing us to do is to take this, this word picture that he has painted and to walk through your house. Not not just the physical place where you dwell, but to walk in your mind's eye through your household, through your life, through everything that, that drives you and makes you tick and the motivation for all things that you do. He says, walk through your schedule. How are you spending your time? What is a priority for you in terms of how you use the time that God has given you? Think about your your budget. God God has given us financial resources to be good stewards of these. So how are you spending your money? Think about the things that you watch on TV. There's so much out there. When we begin to think about all that we allow into our lives by what we watch on TV or or the movies we see. The books that are on your nightstand or the things that are inside of your nightstand. The people that you allow to sit around your table, not just at dinner, but in your life. The people that you're exposing yourself to. The images that you call to the screen on your laptop. social media that you expose yourself to when you scroll through it for hours in the evening. Or the things that you post on Instagram or the articles that you like on Facebook. Think about the relationship that you have with your husband and wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend. Think about the way that you talk to your children. Drill right down to what you see when you open up the refrigerator doors in your home the types of food and drink that you that you're putting into your body the the stores that you shop at our households are made up of all of these things they make up our life and paul tells us to consider which things are silver and gold and which things are wood and clay what's special and helpful and what's common and perhaps harmful for you. And now look at what he says. To those who cleanse themselves, who rid themselves of the latter, of the wood and the clay, the common and the harmful, when you get rid of those things, you will be an instrument for the special purposes that God has for you and you will be made holy. That those who don't rid themselves of those things, they lose their ability to be useful to the master. And they lose their ability to see what the master is doing in their life and around their life. The wood and the clay have become distractions to seeing how God is working. They cloud our vision of the kingdom work that is always, always going on around us. When I worked in the corporate world, we had sayings. There was this vernacular language within the business world but you picked up on hints. And so, so someone would say something, and, it, and at first it would sound good, but then you realize it didn't. And so if I sent someone an email asking a question, and the response I got began with the words, it's my understanding, then that meant that person had no clue what they were talking about, and I was going to go up to ask somebody else later on. Right? They begin that question because they really don't know what they're getting ready to say. Or if someone says, oh, we did our due diligence. What does that mean? It means that you did the least amount of work to make sure that your butt was covered when something went wrong. That's what due diligence means in the corporate world. We were always worried about a bus. Either someone was going to throw us under the bus in a meeting, or we were going to get hit by a bus tomorrow, and nobody was going to know how to do the job that we were doing, right? All of these things that we say within the corporate world. But there was another one as an analyst that we used very frequently, and it was garbage in, garbage out. Which essentially means that your analysis is terrible because your starting data was bad to begin with. And so what came out of your analysis was no good, You know, Jesus was the first to describe that way of thinking. When he says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks the things that we put into our life. Listen to what he says. That the things that you put into your heart determines what comes out of your heart. Good things produce good things. Bad things produce bad things. So the things that we allow into our hearts and our lives determine ultimately our primary response to the circumstances that we will inevitably be faced with. Thinking about think about hitting your thumb with a hammer and what comes out of your mouth, but like on a grander scale. Like what comes out of your life when life hits you on the head with a hammer. That's what he's describing. That our mouth will speak, our life will speak out of the overflow of the things that we have put into our hearts. And we as Christians should desire, we should strive after good fruit that comes from the good stored up in our hearts. Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us two lists. Two lists that describe the types of fruit that can come out of our lives, and the things that indicate to us what's going in our hearts. So what Paul is describing is the output. He's describing what comes out of our lives based on what's going into our hearts. He gives us in two lists. He starts in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there we see it again, that the impure in heart will not see God. And these kinds of things that come out of our lives point to the impurities in our hearts. Now, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm hoping even, that this entire list doesn't apply to you. Paul was dealing with some very specific things that were happening inside the church in Corinth. But I know that as you look at that list, that some of these things do come out of our lives. They do come out as responses to the circumstances that we face around us. But then Paul goes on to give us a different list, and it's a list that that we're familiar with. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. It's no coincidence that he calls it fruit when we see Jesus just earlier tell us that it's good fruit that comes out of the good stored up in our hearts and bad fruit that comes out of the bad stored up in our hearts. It's the fruit of a life lived in the Spirit of God, the fruit that should come out of every believer. My point is for us to contrast this list against the list that we just read. The good fruit that comes out of our lives contrasted against the bad fruit. It's why in verse 22 Paul begins with the word, but the acts of the flesh are this, but the fruit of the Spirit It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the, the, the bad fruit that comes out of a life lived in, in, in the bad stored up in their hearts. And as you look at the two lists that Paul, get, Paul gives, I want you to think about what's more evident in your own life, in those initial need-jerk reactions to the circumstances that you face? Are you more prone to fits of rage or patience? I mean I mean think about when you drive down the street. When you drive down the interstate, are you more prone to fits of rage Or patience. And I say that because this is something that I have been working on in the last month just to be a little more patient and a little more understanding and a little less internally infuriated when I drive down the road, right? What's coming out? Fits of rage or patience? Sexual immorality and drunkenness or self control? Hatred or kindness? When you're in the drive-thru and that teenager handing you a cheeseburger isn't going as fast as you would like them to go. Is it hatred or kindness? Is it selfish ambition and envy? Are you, are you desiring the things that other people have to the point that it's causing you discontentment? Or peace and faithfulness? You see, the evidence of what we are allowing into our heart is in the fruit of what comes out of our lives. You cannot expect The output to be good fruit of the Spirit if the input is impure. Garbage in, garbage out. What you put in here is what comes out in either of these lists. And the point is this. That if you want to have clarity to see God working around you today, and you want your life to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which you should if you are in Christ and you seek to fill your heart with pure things so that the inevitable fruit will be pure. You seek to fill your heart with things that are going to produce good things. And of course, that's challenging because we live in a world that has a lot of things that the Bible doesn't specifically speak about. And yet God's word is just as alive and active today as it was 2,000 years ago. And it does speak about the things that are around us in a way that doesn't require it to be specific. It tells us, how it is that we are to live our lives and what we are to allow in our lives. And God's Holy Spirit has sensitized our conscience to the things that are good for us and the things that are bad for us. And so no, Paul had no concept of the types of mus- movies that we would watch and the types of music that we would listen to, and yet the Bible speaks about it. It tells us what's pure and the Holy Spirit through Paul gives us this filter through which we can gauge every single input that we are allowing into our lives. We find that filter in Philippians 4.8. And Paul writes, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you think about such things. Those are the things that you meditate on. Those are the things that you allow into your life. And when you go back to Paul's words to Timothy and you begin to sort through the things in your house that are gold and the things that are wood, as you consider what's for special use and what's for common use, and you begin to rid yourselves of the latter, this is the filter. Marie Kondo, the world says, does the spark joy? That's not the question that we ask because we've led our hearts to believe that they can find joy in common things. We've filled our hearts so much with common and unuseful things that we think we can find joy in these things. No, Paul says, ask yourself, is this true according to God's word? Or does it go against God's word? Is it noble? Is it fit for a king? Is it fit for your king? Is it right? We have to fight to to understand what's right in our world today. Is it admirable? Would I be proud to show this to somebody sitting in this room right now? Or do I hide it? Is it excellent or praiseworthy according to what God has told me through his word? And Paul says, if it's not, then get rid of it. Stop letting it cloud your view of the special purposes that your master and maker have for you in the day-to-day working of in your life as a Christ follower. And let yourself be motivated by what God has done for you in Christ. That has saved you to purity. And so live a pure life, running everything through this filter. Removing the things that are not helpful. Removing the garbage and stuffing your heart so full of the good and the pure and the right and the noble and the admirable and the excellent and the praiseworthy that that all that can come out is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That that's all that can result because of what you've put into your heart. And this can be difficult. Because our homes and our our world are so saturated by the things that don't meet this standard that it's it's hard to at first begin to sort out the things that do. It's not as simple as resolving to only watch G-rated movies because we know that there's a lot of garbage inside of those supposedly family-friendly movies. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't meet the filter. And so we can't just devise rules for every aspect of our lives. That's not the point. Paul even warned against this this mentality of do this and don't do this. No, he says, you seek to live a pure life for your God. We're not called to behavior modification, but to have a pure heart so that we can see God. And Philippians 4 is a great filter to, to help us with the power of the Holy Spirit in us and this sensitized conscience that God has given us to begin to sort out what's good and what's bad. And then once the inputs begin to change, you'll start seeing the output change. You'll start seeing God working and moving around you more clearly than you ever have. And and there is nothing greater than seeing God moving around us than to be able to look at some of the, the tiniest little situations and go, that's God doing that. I, I, I told a friend this the other day. I try when I'm, when I'm in a good season to just spend time in God's word every single morning. And in my, my routine is just to work through the Old Testament, work through the New Testament. And so I'll read three chapters out of the Old and two chapters out of the New. And, it, and it's kind of random because it's just wherever I am that day and I, I work my way through it. Last Tuesday, I was doing that in the morning, and I came across uh, an obscure random passage in Deuteronomy. And I just happened to be reading two chapters in Galatians at the same time, and within those two chapters, Paul quoted that one chap- that one obscure verse in deuteronomy. I mean that, that's, a, that's an amazing thing that, that that we get to experience when I see the Holy Spirit doing these things in my life that, that are so small, it seems. And yet it brought me such joy to see how God was working and moving in my life that day that I just stopped and I said, thank you, Lord, for showing this to me. By your Holy Spirit, you've revealed these things to me. And we see them not just there, but when we're in the drive through line and we're on the interstate and we're in the store and we're in our homes with our kids. And we begin to see God moving and doing amazing things. And it makes us happy. It makes us blessed to see God working. And that's the promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, not only in the future, the gospel in the air, that great and lofty promise of what God has bought for us through the blood of Jesus Christ and what we get to experience at that definite point in the future, but also right now on the ground, that as I purify my heart in this way, that I'll see God moving around me, and it will make me exceedingly happy. That's our joy. That's our prayer. But we need God's help to do that. And so let's stand up and let's let's pray for that. Father, as we consider your word, we know that it is not easy to go through our homes and purge them of those things that are not helpful or that are harmful. Either because we don't yet recognize them or because we're so attached to them that we're worried we'll be lacking something if we let them go so my first prayer is that by your spirit you would reveal those things to us that 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 garbage that we put in that's only going to produce more garbage and you would give us the boldness and the courage to to clean out those things so that we can see you moving and working it's not because we need to do these things in order to earn our spot in your kingdom you've already given that to us because we want to please the one who saved us to it. We want our lives to produce the fruit of the spirit. We want to be helpful to our master and to see you working around us in every way. And we know that it's in that we find blessedness, we find true happiness, and we praise you for that. And Father, if there are those in this room right now who Have you not yet even realized the the main gospel promise of what you've done through Christ? I pray that you've touched their hearts by your word and that you would draw them to yourself as only you can do. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.